Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison and joining me from our sick bed is the great, the glorious, the exposer of disinformation that is best-selling author of QAnon and I'm a short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults, Bam Badham. How are you feeling, my darling? I mean, as you know, Ben, uh, I'm not feeling very well. Uh, for those of you who may have missed the latest update in the, you know, ad- adventurous, um, uh, incredible tale of, uh, of Van and Ben careening through life, uh, we both have the super cold. It's yes. not coronavirus. We have repeatedly tested for coronavirus. We've been told definitively we don't have coronavirus. And yet we have begging, been begging our mutual gods to die. Yes, it has been a rough few days. We have been sick. We were sick, obviously, when we recorded our last episode of the week on Wednesday. Uh, and, of course, fam, we've also had more news uh, about your mum, who now does have COVID. Yes, my mother has a message to all of our listeners. This is my mother, by the way, who has small cell cancer and is currently on a cancer ward. My mother caught coronavirus in the hospital, but as her nurses tell me, because they phone me every day because they are fantastic, my mother is exhibiting like low to zero symptoms because even though she has terrible terminal cancer, uh, she is triple vaccinated and her body is fighting off coronavirus. And mum wanted to say to everyone who listens to the show, don't delay getting boosted, take all precautions, wear your mask indoors, do all the things you need to do because that's what she has done and that means that the virus is is minimal in terms of its impact on her, which is just extraordinary. In fact, the impact of the virus has been so minimal on my triple vax super cautious mother, that the nurses actually retested her yesterday because they just couldn't believe that she had it and she was still positive. So she's in isolation in hospital at the moment. Um, You can imagine it has been terrifying for Ben and I, but she did do all the things that you're supposed to do. The threat of coronavirus hasn't gone away. You think you'd be pretty safe on a cancer ward in hospital, but you're not safe anywhere. The only safety you have is taking all the health advice. Absolutely, and we'll talk more about that when we get to Morrison's uh, presumptive pick to be health minister should he win the next election. Because oh, you guys are going to love this! Very, very relevant now, Van. I, I also want to. Before we get into it, I just want to. I want everyone to know that despite the level of germs uh, filtering through our systems at the moment, Ben looks particularly handsome today because he is wearing his amazing Zelinsky shirt by. Like our favourite Australian artist, Nordacious, um, which is Zelensky saying, I need ammunition, not a ride. And it is a glorious T-shirt and it's a solidarity campaign T-shirt for um, obviously for the people of Ukraine raising money for the Red Cross. And we'll post links to where you can get one because they are really beautiful. And you look lovely in your pink democracy tastes great shirt. The uh, the democracy sausage there, you know, in the in the beautiful grey scale, uh, black and white Australia as the piece of bread <laughs> and the little touch of red sauce on the sausage. I like to think you and I are a touch of red sauce in the democracy sausage of our nation, Benny. That's what you and I bring to the party. Yeah, the T-shirt I'm wearing, I've got two of these, one in beautiful yellow and one in this lovely pale pink. And this is done by my favourite fashion outfitter, High Tees, who are the infamous makers of the Dolly Jumper. If you haven't seen the Dolly Parton Jumper, you must. Um, And they've made this great celebration of democracy. So however you vote, whoever you vote for, you can get into it and Proclaim your pride and everything's great about democracy in Australia. I Uh, love this show. And I think it is very, very fitting because today, of course, was the first 90-minute episode of Insiders for the election. We've come to the end of the first week of the election. Obviously, on the week on Wednesday, we discussed uh, the election up until that point. Uh, And, of course, we will continue to discuss the election because democracy does require discussion. It requires a contest of ideas. It requires an analysis 
bit of nuance, maybe. A bit of nuance, a bit of understanding. A bit of analysis. Yeah, these things. Context. That, you know, something a bit more than, say, just random photo ops with stressed out looking, starving baby cows. <laughs> Yes, it's funny, you know, a lot of people will criticise those of us who study arts degrees, but I've got to say, spending three years of your life appreciating that context is everything is a really useful education. Yeah, and I have to say, Van, you know, the last few days of this week, we saw the campaigns start to start to take shape. And I, I posted a, a long thread and, you know, with my with my cold, I apologise for the spelling and grammatical errors, of which I'm sure there were many. Uh, but the the point of that thread was to say there are actually themes starting to emerge about the kinds of Australia that an Albanese Labor government and a Morrison Liberal government will lead. Now, obviously, we've already had three years of a Morrison Liberal government on the back of six years of various Liberal governments in which Morrison was a minister. So we know the last decade has given us some sense of what Morrison, of Morrisonia. Of Morrisonia. And I've got to say, it's a pretty bleak place. Oh, it's horrible. All right, let's just sum up some of the agenda that's been admitted to this week. And Ben and I are going to put all of this into the context of how we see this campaign panning out. Now, I am going to apologise in advance. If there are some strange jump cuts in this particular podcast, it's because Ben and I are cutting out coughs and our sneezes and wheezes, which is what we just did then. Yes, yes, we will. But then the Morrison agenda, the Morrisonian agenda that is starting to be outlined in the back half of this week. Oh, it's horrible. It, you know, it's getting rid of the federal ICAC. Uh, we've seen him not only refuse. No, he's de-promising a federal like de-promising it. That's what we. It's a de-promise. Yeah. So some extraordinary number of Australians. Let's go through this in order. I reckon. Yeah. Okay, so federal ICAC is a voting issue and a going going concern for some extraordinary number of Australians. Somewhere between 70 and 90% of Australians support the establishment of a federal ICAC. And why wouldn't they? Because they've seen the success of ICAC in New South Wales, which constantly prunes the corrupt and the corruption from all parties. Yeah. All parties who dabble in the dark arts get their just punishment in New South Wales, which is fantastic. And people appreciate that. Absolutely. You know, Peter Harcher made the point today on Insiders that uh, I'm pretty sure it was Peter Harcher, uh, might have been James Proben, that one of the things we need to do is see our democracy. No, it's definitely Peter Harcher. To see our democracy evolve, and that the establishment of a federal ICAC will actually allow our democracy to evolve. I mean, he made it uh, a reference to Fukuyama and kind of highbrow, and Sam Maiden kind of mocked him a little bit for it. But oh, I think he's made a reference to Fukuyama. That is, uh, that's a niche joke. We'll get back to that one later. But I think his point is correct. The Australians have lost some faith in the processes of our democracy, and we're seeing in you know your book the rise of fringe elements who say all democracy is bad. It's not. There are some corrupt elements in every system. And a federal ICAC is the next evolution in how we deal with those, right? Yeah. I mean, Australians hate corruption. Yeah. I mean, let's remember, you know, the people who immigrated to this country from other countries, a lot of economic migrants to Australia come here because they want to run businesses, pursue jobs, have lives and get educations without the effects of corruption. Corruption is a really interesting comparison between Argentina and Australia, that Argentina and Australia are sort of comparable-ish by size in terms of makeup of natural resources. You know, they're both post-colonial countries that are indigenous populations. There are many similarities between Argentina and Australia. Argentina's history is one of dictatorship and coups and juntas and massive um, disparity between rich and poor because a culture of corruption meant that meant that Argentina never developed strong internal markets. There wasn't enough equality in the economy for there to be buy-in from different sectors. Yeah. And there but for the grace of God go we that because of different decisions that were made in terms of policing corruption that there was more 
in the past, um, there was more equal distribution of wealth comparatively and that, you know, advancement or procurement or any of those things wasn't determined by corruption. It is absolutely fundamental to our prosperity to fight corruption. It is. And it, and it, and it's reiterated again and again and again in every study, in every uh, piece of research and in every piece of uh, business research that strong, uh, safeguards against corruption, strong mechanisms to root out in corruption, absolutely vital for continuing prosperity. Like far more important than many of the things that Morrison heralds, you know, like corporate tax rates and all these sorts of things. Actually, the 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 way uh, the rule of law is implemented and corruption is prevented, rooted out and punished is actually far more indicative of having a prosperous business community and society. So it's a really interesting thing to go, well, why would Morrison not want an anti-corruption body that has teeth, can conduct investigations of its own accord, doesn't require cabinet's permission, which is one of the things Morrison says, well, if we're going to have one, I have to sign off on every investigation. Uh, can hold, watches, the watches. Can hold, yeah, can hold public hearings. You know, today on the inside, Marissa Payne said, well, you know, we have to give people the presumption of innocence and having public investigations means that people are subjected to this presumption of guilt. If I threw a tomato at Scott Morrison in front of a camera, right, that's a criminal act. That's yeah. an assault, yeah. right? Now I'm entitled to the presumption of innocence. Yeah. But if I'm named as the person who threw the tomato yeah. and there is footage of me throwing the tomato... But even, even I'm going to be charged for throwing the tomato, and my name is going to be known. That's not going to be suppressed. Like we don't hide no. the accused. And even even in really serious things, whether it's corporate fraud or murder or other serious crimes, right? And and there's not, let's say, video footage because it happened in public, and it's been happening for a long time, and it's been happening in secret. When those charges are brought forward, they are. They were put on the public register. They, you face a public court trial. You often have to face a jury of your peers. There is a gallery of people. You know, when I studied journalism, there is a whole section about how you report criminal and court-based uh, stories so that you don't, as a journalist, jeopardise the trial. And this is the key thing here, right? What Morrison is really worried about with ICAC is that he knows that some of his people will have to face investigations. And they should because Absolutely. we should have those interrogations and checks on, on governmental behaviour. That's just basic good governance. And and I hope, I, and this will sound weird, right, because I'm always the guy who says vote Labor one, put the Liberals last, join your union, you know, hold corporations to account. That's me. That's who I am. But I genuinely hope that rigorous, thorough investigations into Angus Taylor and Barnaby Joyce and Tim Wilson and, and and you know, sports rorts and car park rorts and all those things come up very clearly and decisively that no corruption has taken place. I hope that happens. Oh, I, I don't want to live in a corrupt society. Absolutely. I hope nothing corrupt or untoward has happened. And if there is speculation around whether behaviour has been corrupt in the context of a legislation, legislative framework that suggests that it isn't corrupt, well, that's an opportunity for reform. And, and, let's, and let's use ICAC to clear away the shadows. Yeah, exactly, because the problem is if people have doubts about the integrity of democratic institutions, that's bad. Yeah. Right? The institutions have to hold. And I just want to put this in a broader conversation about you know, traditionally the positions of the right and the left when it comes to the rule of law. And historically, the left didn't have a lot of love for the rule of law because the rule of law did things like made unions illegal yeah. and, you know, transported the toll puddle martyrs and for the, meeting under a tree that Ben and I have been to. The boss's courts, right? Yeah, the boss's courts. You know, Adam Smith in The Wealth of Nations says 
that, you know, no sooner, you know, there's one thing that will always have the boss clamoring for the magistrate and that's workers trying to form a union. Yeah. And this is, this is the thing, you know, traditionally the law kept women out of the pub, you know, the law stopped women from voting. The franchise was not universal and not expanded. So yes, the radical leftist movements of the past saw the law as an institution of oppression. Well, after the second world war, the instruction to the left from our great philosophers, people like Gramsci and Rudy Dritschka, were to make your long march through the institutions that if we wanted a society that was based on fairness and egalitarianism, which are bedrock Australian values, Absolutely. that the law had to enfranchise everyone and everyone must be equal before the law. That's a really important value. So, you know, to quote Sally McManus, I believe in the rule of law when the law is just and the law is right. And the law has to be fair. People have to have confidence in that system as a guarantee of equality. And that's what a Federal Life Act does. And I want to say too, you know, it's interesting that everyone should be equal before the law. And I think what we've seen with the recent revelations around Dyson Hayden and his his predatory behaviour against uh, women in the workplace and him being held to account for that now, uh, this is a guy who was a high court judge who was handpicked by Tony Abbott to lead a royal commission uh, into trade unions, you know, who, who even though he was a speaker at a Liberal Party fundraiser, declared himself unbiased uh, in that royal commission. How fortunate he could just declare himself that. You this know, is why left-wing people traditionally had problems yeah, with the law. Yeah, and, and why statements like, I believe in the rule of law when the law is just, um, because sometimes the law to – to use another quote, is not just. Sometimes the law is a tool of oppression. Um, but what we've seen with universal enfranchisement and with guaranteed universal voting in Australia, that you can actually shape and reshape the law by reshaping the government. And the end of this week, we've clearly seen in this election, this is a hard decision point for Australia. You either want a government that is transparent and accountable to an independent anti-corruption body that has the power to investigate and root out corruption. Or exonerate people. Or exonerate people. From suspicion. Absolutely. And to say, you know, Gladys Berejiklian didn't resign because she didn't do anything wrong. Gladys Berejiklian resigned because it's very clear in those tapes, very clear in those tapes, that she had a suspicion that the person she was talking to was doing something wrong. That's what's very clear. Now, whether that in itself is corrupt or a breach of the law is a matter for ICAC. Yeah. And that's what ICAC is investigating. Human beings are imperfect and we resolve our imperfection through the creation of evolving systems that deal with our imperfection in an abstract and fair way. Now, no one has ever resigned because ICAC has told them to. That is not what's happened in our politics. What has happened is ICAC has looked at the behaviour and the interactions that our politicians and our senior public servants have had with business people, with each other, with the community at large. We need that at a federal level. Okay, so I just want to to give everybody, Ben and I are thoroughly enjoying the philosophical discussion yeah. here, as you can probably tell, but to put this into its news context... Labor have gone to this election with a promise to, if they're elected in May, on May 21, they are going to legislate the creation of a federal ICAC with teeth, with, you know, in full mm. investigative powers, transparency by the end of 2022. That's this year. Yeah. And start the ball rolling. And I think the overwhelming majority of Australians would support that. The Liberal Party position is that they promised a National Integrity Commission more than a 1,000 days ago. It's like 1,300. Three years ago. It's like, yeah, 1,400 days ago. It's a really, really long time ago because there is public pressure around this yeah. around this issue. And Ben and I have spoken about this before. There is no funding for the creation of an ICAC in the budget that was just announced. There is absolutely none. Scott Morrison has was asked about a federal ICAC this week and on the campaign trail and said, I've got one priority and it's jobs, 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 jobs. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, 
But the current line from the Liberals, knowing that this is an issue, is we've already proposed a federal ICAC. Why is everybody being so crazy? We'd legislated immediately if Labor supported it. Now, Labor made it very clear that they weren't supporting the Liberal model because the Liberal model required sign-off from the Prime Minister, which is not independent. That's not an independent investigative body because – uh, investigations were not going to be made public because, you know, the notion of punishment was all very spurious. It is completely, you know, it's... Without teeth. Yeah, it's shadow, not substance is yeah. what it is. And it doesn't resolve the fundamental question of what do you do about corrupt behaviour? What is the mechanism no. for exposing corrupt behaviour? So they won't support it. actually makes the system worse, right, because it pours more shadow into the system because did the Cabinet sign off? On an investigation, was did someone propose an investigation to cabinet that didn't get signed off? Oh, we don't even know because it's signed, it's sealed under cabinet papers. Oh, well, well, FOI. Oh, well, that's been redacted because it was in cabinet papers. Like it actually creates more layers of smoke and shadow and reduces um, transparency of government and and undermines you know the integrity of the institution. So Labor have said no, which is the correct position. Labor shouldn't support yeah. something that, like you know. Obviously, you and I often back in Labor agreeing to things that we wouldn't fundamentally agree with in order to amend them and make them better. Yeah. But there is no amending the ICAC that Morrison has put forward and he knows it. And the issue, of course, today is they're running this line, oh, well, if Labor won't support it, we're not doing it. And it's like, but you don't need, you've never needed the support of Labor to do it. You have the majority in the House and then you've just got to win the majority in the Senate. And and this kind of brings me to the next point that I want us to discuss, and that is that the, the, the media's role in this issue and the, the campaign more broadly, and particularly I think at the end of the week, and insiders have started, I think, to get their heads around this, right? Somebody once said that the act of observing a thing changes its nature, right? And, and there's no question that the way Morrison campaigns is he campaigns to the media as his audience, knowing that the media has to sell on to an audience, right? The media has to make up the story to suit the pictures. Yeah. So he's deliberately, like, he's not campaigning to the Australian people. And, in fact, the AFR, a paper that I don't have a lot of time for normally. Yes, ideologically not exactly simpatico. Right. But, you know, you got to read to understand. So- they ran an article going, one of their journalists saying, I've been embedded with the campaign for a week. We haven't spoken to a single real person. This came out on Thursday, I think it was. By Saturday, Scott Morrison was doing a quote unquote street walk at the Royal Easter Show. Ah, uh, yes, but didn't he suspend his campaign for Easter because he's such a holy man? Well, no, he campaigned with Gladys Liu. He campaigned with Josh Frydenberg. I seriously, he just remember. didn't take, he didn't take questions. Right, Albo, so it's not really campaign. Albo was posed questions. But the point about the Royal Easter Show street walk in inverted commas where he supposedly was meeting people in inverted commas was that he was actually – there's no footage. I, can't, I have not found footage except for one photo where he's shaking the hand of a man who seems to be in control of the goats that Scott Morrison is then leading around where he's not just leading around a goat or leading around a cow or he's not moving through the crowd – in f- surrounded, literally surrounded, in front by a pack of TV cameras, on the side by advisors and staff, and from behind with members of his family and more uh, media and staff. And then on the other side is like the stables and the wall, right? So his walk through common Australia is more like a, a royal progression through a medieval village. It really is. Except- It really is. That's the image, isn't it? Yeah. It is a royal procession. It's like, you know, the king descending the royal mile from Edinburgh Castle. Except nobody cares because the other footage clearly shows that people are on their phones, talking to each other, looking at anything else except for Scott Morrison. So he has created this bubble of of media and staff and family so that nobody really can come up to him and and go, hey, mate, I'm a bit upset about you going off to Hawaii or my wages going backwards or one of the or many- to crowdsource the funding for a rescue helicopter for during the flood. Yeah. Hey, I'm down from Lismore. 
got plenty of time because my house has been washed away. So here I am. None of that. You know, it's actually quite hard to work your way through those crowds that prime ministers can surround themselves with. For those of you learning the vocabulary of politics, the staffers who are entrusted to intercept randoms are known as advances. And it's very clear from the footage that he has created an image or tried to create an image. And there's a beautiful photo, and I've shared it on Twitter, where Morrison is leading a calf, a baby cow, by a lead. The cow looks- Is it golden for any chance? It's sort of blonde, yeah. It's- <laughs> Is his and I did want to I did want to make a joke about a sacrifice, but it's Easter and I don't want to I don't want to offend people because I know it's Easter and, and Passover and and uh, and and many other uh, religious occasions this weekend. So, but you know, people, the photo is beautiful. It's such a beautiful composition. He's being chased, not chased, but followed by this big pack of TV cameras. Jenny Morrison is off to the side. Apparently his children are there as well. I don't know about that. But And then off on the other side, there's actual real people and he's not engaging with any of them. He's basically looking straight down the barrel of the camera smiling. The cow looks desperately like it's off to the slaughter yards. The people are looking at their phones, talking to each other, ignoring this sideshow in Sideshow Alley at the show and yet you just look at it and you go, did Rembrandt make this? Is this, is this a work of one of the great masters of the Renaissance? Because it truly- To be fair, Ben, it sounds a lot more like French realism, but that's But okay. it encapsulates the Morrison. Look at that arts time. degree, kick it in. <laughs> Look at it. So, so media does shape what we see and how we understand it in the campaign. Like it fundamentally is telling us what the campaign wants us to hear. And sometimes it's telling us what the campaign doesn't want us to hear, right? Oh, I mean, what I found extraordinary having seen those Easter pictures is that I read a report by one of the journalists covering the campaign who told who told me in the article that Morrison was beset by crowds. Yeah. And I'm like, the key detail here is he was set beset by crowds of the media. Yeah. Like the idea that a prime minister would walk past in some kind of rural position and people are on their phones you know, is that's not being beset by crowds. I haven't seen any adulation of no. Morrison in this campaign. And why would anyone, you know, late with the vaccines, like mismanaged um, coronavirus response, millions of dollars given out to Jerry Harvey, abandon us during the fires, abandon us during the floods, lies, like. It just goes on and on, doesn't it? And the other thing that started to emerge and, again, you know, I've been pretty critical of the media throughout the campaign and and I'm the first to put my hand up to say that I have, but I'm also going to say they've started to pick up, I think, on a piece of strategic manipulation by Scott Morrison and and they discussed it on Insiders today and that is the candidate for Warringah, Liberal candidate for Warringah, whose name I will not mention. Yeah. I will not mention. I was thrilled that the media picked this up. Overdue. Because this is a person who is a bigot. Right. If you look up the definition of bigot, you will find that this person matches that definition quite clearly. And and Mar- Marissa Payne was asked on Insiders whether they should be uh, disendorsed, and she said, "Oh, it's a matter for the New South Wales organisational uh, branch of the Liberal Party." I've never seen a senior minister, the senior minister in the Senate from a state, refuse to endorse a candidate for election during the election. Morrison, of course, has continued to back this person. And on Insiders, they they made the point that this is phenomenal. Like the, in, in terms of our democratic processes, you would never have a minister refuse to endorse someone, but the prime minister continue to back them. And they said, well, actually, and it might have been Proben even, who went, um, and, and Sam Maiden as well, who went, well, he's doing it because he's not trying to win Warringah. With no, Zali Steckel has a lock on Warringah. He's trying to use this person as a Trojan horse to demonstrate to some communities, perhaps some communities where they voted no to marriage equality, to some communities who are picking up on disinformation about trans people that he will defend their interests, he is he is dog-whistling 
He is dog whistling. He's dog whistling to religious and social conservatives in other electorates. So let I mean let's just yeah. let's yeah. just state it plain what's going on. There are seats in Western Sydney that have communities in them who and are in other parts of the country. Yeah, too. and in other parts of the country. But we know that Morrison has been campaigning in Western Sydney. Yeah. When that incident with the kid took place the other day, that was yeah. in the seat of Lindsay, I believe. So we know that there are communities of people who are socially conservative but economically progressive and traditionally those seats vote Labor. Yeah. Morrison is in a position where he only holds government by one seat. Technically he doesn't hold it by one seat if George Christensen is off joining One Nation. So technically it's minority government, not that, you know, there's a distinction with those people. Um, And he knows that there is an upswell of a Labor vote. The polls have told him this in seats where his candidates are threatened, particularly in Western Australia. So he, to offset a Labor victory, needs to pick up seats from Labor. And he's targeting very specific demographics. Potentially, this is the reason why we had to go through the marriage equality postal survey. So the Conservatives could get demographics on who votes around those, Those those social issues in a Conservative way and that they're targeting this messaging towards traditionally Labor voting electorates that have social conservatives who tend to, who do vote Labor in them. And let's be really clear that the, the lies that get told about, <coughs> about trans people in this country are disgraceful. Oh, they are horrific. And they are lies. They are fundamentally lies. And Ben and I just want to be very clear, we will not stand for it. We will not. We are allies of the trans community, absolutely, to our core. And if it comes if it comes on our social media, we will block, ban, delete. We will not, I will not tolerate it because, you know, people have a right to be who they are and it's actually nobody else's business and it doesn't impact you. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't impact you. You know, unisex toilets have not changed who you are as a person. But they have because they're usually more comfortable. (laughs) I generally find unisex toilets have more space and they're cleaner. I'm going to say that. People behave, men behave better in unisex toilets than they behave in men's toilets. So I'm all over it. I'm pro. Yeah, I've been in one one too many men's only pub toilets and I can tell you it's not a night. And I've got to say, toilets that have their own sinks in them are the best toilets because every time I've seen (laughs) pub violence amongst women, it's been in some like weird random drunken sort of brawl and the share sinks in but, the toilet. So I'm all in favour of the unisex toilets, have them but, everywhere. But let's be let's be really clear here. There is not a flood of trans athletes uh, trying out for women's netball teams in the suburbs of Australia. There is not a flood of uh, trans uh, women going into uh, the toilets of schools uh, to to for some nefarious reason, the the people who spread those sorts of messages are lying, and they are doing it to scare you, to scare you into supporting them having more power over your life and the lives of other people. Absolutely, and we've seen that in the United States of America. You know, where the conservatives run these social conservative campaigns, whether they, you know, they claim they're pro-life. And we're now looking at the situation where women are getting jail terms for having miscarriages because they're accused of having abortions that have been made illegal. And, you know, at the same time, the places where those ha- those horrible, uh, like, culture war issues are running campaigns are generally the poorest, most economically unfair, disadvantaged. Like, That's you right. know, would you rather live in New York or Kentucky? Let me tell you, having been to New York, it's infinitely preferable. You know, a trans person is not going to cut your wages. A trans person is not going to outsource your job. A trans person is not necessarily, you know, like it, they're not doing those things because they're As trans. As a movement, yeah, it's not a. It's, it's not a movement of trans people saying, "Hey, you know, let's have let's let's universally but, as but, a trans community legislate economic but Morrison's, inequality." But Morrison's liberal economic plan, Van, does that? Does that? In fact, it does that to the point where he stands in a factory that's offshoring a third of its workforce to Vietnam and talks about a jobs policy that is just economic trend. All right, so let's let's look at again the shadow, not the substance. While Morrison is running that bigot, like anti-trans bigot, who has said literally disgraceful things about children, yeah, uh, in their in their social media, um, I mean everybody says ridiculous things 
on social media. Sure. But that's next level. I mean, yeah. that's – come on. Yeah. Anyway, so um, – and has admitted it and not apologised, yeah. you yeah. know, which I think is significant. Um, or given a non-apology. Uh, what happened was Morrison has been, oh, I'm jumps, 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 jumps. Yeah. I'm jumps, jumps, jumps. And he went to a factory. And we did talk about this briefly the other day, yeah. that he went to – a the Ream, Ream factory. factory. Install a Ream, install a Ream. Yeah. Everybody remembers the tune and that's probably why he went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for the hottest of hot, hot water you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Ream Remember, comes on. Morrison's audience is the media and the media's audience, the media then builds the audience, right? Yeah. So, of course, he goes to places where there's going to be a jingle, where there's going to be a- Brand association. That's right. Yeah, so Australians think of Ream as an Australian company. Well, yeah, they're outsourcing a third of their workforce to Vietnam. And you had this situation where the employees who were very aware of the fact they were being used as props in a political commercial yeah. were, you know, putting up the finger and, you know, defi- constantly defying- The Bob Hawke Brewing Company cap I thought was a beautiful- Little slight against Morrison because he stopped. Morrison stopped to talk to the guy, and the guy was wearing the cap. And Morrison, because he's oblivious to actual people, to anyone but himself, and only sees us as an amorphous blob, right? Didn't notice. And the guy was smiling. He was really happy. He was really happy. And I think Morrison thought he was really happy to be talking to Morrison. And no, he was really happy because Morrison was standing in front of the glove set up as a finger while. The worker was wearing the Bob Hawke Brewing Company cap and there's a beautiful photo of it that I've posted on social media because Morrison is so oblivious to actual people that he doesn't notice that this is what's happening. No, he doesn't. And, I mean, or care. I mean, this is the thing. He does not care because if you were a pro-jobs politician, you would be outraged that a company was- And he wasn't. And he wasn't at all. So by the end of the week, he was basically defending Reams- decision to have, quote, unquote, voluntary redundancies and its growth strategies for it to decide and what it's told us is. So he knew in advance, right, if he is, to, always know if, if he is to be believed, which, you know, toss a coin, but by the end of the week it had become clear because he said his words were what they told us was, what they have told us is, these are voluntary redundancies. So- with jobs going offshore to yeah. replace them. So he Everybody, knew. let's just be clear, that's what's going on. So he knew this, right? He's telling us he knew this, but he still chose to stand there. He didn't go there to defend those workers or to defend their jobs or to defend their wages. He chose to go there and use them as a prop in his own- Campaign pol- commercial. Campaign. Sorry, political campaign. Oh, look, it's outrageous. And it's it's a huge problem that speaks to- it, it speaks to a nuance that sectors of the media are not getting. Yeah. And I'm loath to criticise my media colleagues. I always am because, I like, it is an extraordinarily hard job. We expect journalists to do eight times the work that we expect them to do 15 years ago yeah. because of digital disruption. It is, you know, the, the rumours of glorious paychecks are, are fantasies Few and far past. between, right? It is hard work and people do it because they believe in it. But we have a problem in this country that we have – a media community that is not that whose diversity does not speak to class experience, and yep. that is a real problem, because the story of that campaign visit is not just that a third of those jobs are going to Vietnam. It's that it, offshoring, outsourcing, decommissioning, closure effect. Like yeah. this, this is the story that is creating economic disparity, exploitation. Uh, you know, downward pressure on wages and the actual economic issues that are frustrating and terrifying the majority of Australians. And that's not getting the attention in this campaign that it In should. fact, it's getting reported in the opposite way. It was reported that on insiders that Morrison spent the week focused on the economy and on jobs and on blue-collar jobs and making announcements about blue-collar jobs. But the AMWU made the point about Ream. The manufacturing division of the CFMU has made the point about his forestry announcement in Tasmania, not actually delivering forestry jobs. You know, he's made, he went to a, a, a lolly factory, I think, in Chisholm, um, where again, just it's not, it's not real. It's all staged. It's all set up for media to get pictures of him dressed up like a working class person, and it and it fits. You know, and we have to we have to remember. Like campaigns 
campaigns almost in, in, inject a sense of amnesia in the media sometimes, I feel. Morrison is not a new person. He's been Prime Minister for three years. We've seen him play dress-ups. He dressed up as a pilot when giving Qantas billions of dollars in subsidies, who subsequently used some of that money to unlawfully sack their ground crew and used some of that money to fund court cases to put their flight attendants back to the minimum allowable wages. Surprise, surprise, Qantas has been a total basket fire over the Easter break as people can't get their bags. Morrison will play dress up, hand over our cash, and we will suffer the consequences because there is no, okay, well, for the money, Alan Joyce, you're going to have to guarantee jobs. You're going to have to guarantee salaries. None of that. But it's, I want, I want people to understand when Morrison says jobs, 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 what Liberal Party ideology thinks is a pro-jobs announcement. It might strike a reasonable person that if you're in a ream factory that's about to outsource a third of their workforce to Vietnam, you're not creating jobs there. But what the Liberals want us to believe and have in fact spent the past 40 years insisting is that if you let business do whatever they want without regulation, well, they'll just create jobs. Yeah. I mean, this is what we were told with penalty rates. Yeah. We were told that if penalty rates were cut, yeah. there'd, be more that jobs. there'd be more jobs. Not a single job has been created. Every study has found not Every a single Every single job. And in the wake of the Australian penalty rates decision, just as in the wake of the New Zealand decision, decisions across America, everywhere else, in the wake of that decision, no jobs have been created. Absolutely none. But their insistence is that if they just let companies do whatever they want, well, companies will make so much money, they'll just pump it back into the economy. It's like this literally flies in the face of all recorded evidence. They accumulate vast amounts of capital. They automate what they can. They outsource what they can. They maximise return to shareholders. That doesn't create jobs. It's not the industrial revolution where people are like, I have capital, I'm going to invent a new steam engine. We're not doing that. Like, no. And it is, it is fundamentally... You know, the next phase of the campaign, the Australian has already said, you know, Morrison has been very clear in the last few days that industrial relations reforms that have been rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected by the Senate, by the people of Australia, are still on the table, that he wants to legislate them if he gets re-elected. You know, it's part of his jobs concept. And it's exactly as you say, Van. You know, he sees it as deregulating, removing red tape, making it easier for business. Red tape is great. Red tape is regulation. Regulated things tend not to fall apart. And it means cleaner water, cleaner air, better wages, more job security, safer products, safer services. Safer conditions for the people who operate in workplaces. And all we need to do, quite frankly, is look at any of the things where Morrison and the Liberals have tried to deregulate and and create markets that are not markets. Aged care, the NDIS. Childcare. Childcare. These are services. Defence. These are services. These are things that people need in order to participate in the economy and in society, which are different things. These are they interact, they have they have points of contact, but but an economy is not a society. A market is not a community. These are different things. And Morrison continually tries to impose this ideological framework which sees quality of service drop, wages drop, safety drop, outcomes get worse. More people have died in aged care since the start of the year from COVID than have died throughout the rest of the pandemic combined. Why? Because the system is deregulated and not properly staffed. Why? Because it is privatised. Why? Because profit is the overwhelming driver of liberal ideology. It does my head in. And this is why, this is what all the culture war distractions are about. Shadow, not substance. Be terrified of trans people because of some completely inane thing that you read on Facebook and I wonder where that came from at this particular point in time. You know, be absolutely terrified about, you know, some other nonsense issue. Remember when, you know, marriage equality was going to mean that, you know, cats and dogs got married and horses ran from the sky, you know, there'd be bestiality at every church picnic. Like this kind of nonsense, this American-style gross nonsense is all a distraction about what is really going on 
which is an IR agenda to smash what rights workers still have in the workplace and to further deregulate workplace conditions. And that means that the problem with wages is not going to go away. And in the environment where, you know, wage, wages are not keeping pace with inflation, they're not, you know, it is an economic disaster for those of us who actually don't People. run the companies that get the government contracts that are parceled out by Peter Dutton, Bridget McKenzie, every Kansas time Taylor, Stuart Robert. Every time Morrison or Frydenberg talks about unemployment being four percent or GDP has gone up by X, I want people to think, am I wealthier than I was? 10 years ago. Because this is what the Liberals have insisted. Like the Liberals use this economic metric, which is incorrect, that insists that if unemployment goes down, well, wages will go up because there'll be more people, you know, compared And it bosses, hasn't. Bosses will have to fight harder to keep good staff. And it hasn't. Wages haven't gone up because businesses have been let off the hook. The, the leader of the ACT, the leader of the Australian Trade Union Movement, <sighs> once said in public that, there are three three ways in which wages go up. One, you have an incredibly niche, highly valued set of skills, like you're a professional footballer on the global stage, or you're an eye surgeon, or an anaesthetist, and you're in a position to negotiate wages because there's only three of you who can do that job in the world. Second way is that you're in a union, you are unionised and collectivised. And you have collective power. And collectively you can demand better wages because otherwise the machines stop, the services don't get delivered, and the boss doesn't make a profit. And the third way is through legislation, through minimum wages, through penalty rates, through government intervening and saying these are the terms in which people will be paid and the conditions under which work will be conducted. Those are the three ways wages are set in this country. Now, if you're telling me or if Morrison wants to tell the people of this country that disability support workers and aged care workers are in that first category, that they are in a position to negotiate for themselves higher wages because they just can, because bosses want the best possible person, I think that will come as a grave surprise to those people who have been dealing with with constant downward pressure on their wages for the last 10 years. Uh. It is ridiculous fantasy thinking, and the evidence shows it doesn't work. So in the next week, when Morrison wants to talk about IR apparently, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what it really means because unemployment has come down, but so have wages. That model does not work. It is broken. Stop trying Stop trying to make neoliberalism work, Scotty. Stop it. Stop trying to make of Fetch happen. Going, of course, yeah, stop trying to make Fetch happen. But of course he's going to because he does very well out of it. Liberal Party donors do very well out of it. They love having an exploitable workforce. They love not paying wage increases. How do you think they can afford all those massive donations to the Liberal Party? Well, this is the thing, right? And we know he's an ideologue. Like for all of his I'm a daggy dad stuff, for all of his – yeah, and there's this, there's this line that Morrison has no politics. Oh, he has no politics, he's just oh. himself. You know, like narcissists have like individualist yeah. ideologi- ideological beliefs. They like being top of the food chain. They like having the attention and the money. And, no. it's, and it's really, really clear he is an ideologue because the other things that have come out in the, towards the end of this week, uh, Alan Tudge still actually a minister. Alan Tudge is still a minister. There's a big payout for Rochelle Miller to not talk Huge. about. To not talk about. More than half a million dollars, I believe. The whole circumstance. And the question of who will be their health minister, it's gone into the election, the health minister retiring without announcing who the health minister would be if he got elected during a global pandemic while we're facing a new wave. Turns out, it's been revealed the most likely person will be Anne Rustin. Now, I've written about Anne Rustin. What a charming individual she is. She's the person who said that it'd be bad to increase the appalling rate of Newstart, even though the government itself did, did increase the amount of the job seeker allowance during the pandemic when a whole bunch of people got out of poverty, which was extraordinary yeah. and could afford things. So they themselves increased it. But before that happened, of course, she said that, and then they decreased it, of course. Yeah. She was the one who said that increasing 
the rate of job seeker would just be a gift to drug dealers and pubs because all of us who have ever been on the doll are, you know, alcoholic dope smoking losers. All of us. She is an ideologue of the highest order. Absolutely everybody. Every single person who has ever found themselves without a job, seeking government support in order to feed themselves and live is just giving their money to drug dealers. She... And, I don't and, think I could be more angry. Uh, I think it's good that I'm sick yeah. because it's actually tempering my anger because I wrote an article about that ages ago and it was an absolute masterpiece of editing. I would like to thank my editor for taking all the swear words out. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting because there's actually a hit parade of ideological nonsense from Anne Rustin over the years. Obviously, the things that she said about Job Seeker are appalling. She's when Morrison's budget was criticized for not doing enough for women, she said that women can take advantage of driving on the new roads. As though Yeah, that's a gender issue. As though that I feel a lot less you know, likely of being subjected to gender-based violence because of road quality. Road quality is apparently a gender-based violence issue. She has said that Medicare is not sustainable. This is the woman that Morrison is going to make Minister for Health. Medicare is not sustainable, is it? This is her, this is her view. This yeah, is because her they view. defund it and run down the system and waste money and pay but, out private contracts. But it goes to the heart of Morrison's approach to government. Ministers against their portfolio. And Rustin is the same minister who received advice from the department, from the government itself, that said they should stop robo-debt and ignored that advice, decided to ignore it, did not act on that advice. That cost taxpayers billions of dollars. It shattered thousands of lives. There are reports that people took their own lives as a result of the tragedy that was robo-debt. This person will now be in charge of Medicare, of the Commonwealth Health Department, of our COVID response. You know, I'm wondering if this is all a big troll to make people like me saying, say, bring back Greg Hunt. Like, because that's what it feels. It's like, I never thought those words would come out of my mouth. But now, and Rustin is apparently going to be the Minister for Health, they, they just have. And I just want us all to take a moment going, well done, trollsters. That's an incredible achievement. Oh my God. Like, it's just, it's endless. So, can we just sum up? This is the early campaign. Yeah. And I want everyone to be very clear about the agenda that Morrison, while he's parading around his golden calf, has actually offered the Australian people. It goes like this. I will support bigots and people who say unconscionable things about marginalised children. Yep. I th- do not want corruption. I being Scott Morrison. I being Scott Morrison. I do not want corruption exposed to the transparency of a federal ICAC. I, being Scott Morrison, think it's perfectly fine for employers to offshore a third of their workforce to Vietnam. I, as Scott Morrison, think it's entirely acceptable to place all power and unfairly weight the dynamics of workplace control to bosses who are already not handing over wage increases, even if it causes massive amounts of service disruption. I, Scott Morrison, am not interested in functioning services. I'm interested in the triumph of an ideology that says, let people with money do whatever they want, and if you don't have money, that's your fault and you have to suffer the consequences. Like this, this is what we've been offered. I, as Scott Morrison, am going to deregulate your workplace even further and make the experience of work for those who do not have money as unpleasant and disempowering as possible. And I, as Scott Morrison, will appoint ministers who ideologically oppose the very things they are there to administer. So who's sold on that? Like, I mean, I've just got a question, like, for those people being targeted by and I do want to talk about the disinformation because obviously that's my area yeah. of interest and expertise. So what Ben and I have learned uh, is that the disinformation campaigns are already starting, and this is this culture war nonsense and these outright lies. And we have been predicting this. We're repeatedly warned through our social media and tr- through this show that this would happen. When you're the Morrison government and you go to Hawaii when the country's burning down, the only way you can regain any kind of, you know, electoral influence, especially if you're running on an agenda of, you know, hate, corruption, bigotry and poverty. I mean, (laughs) they're quite the pillars of a campaign in a democratic country. Um, You win through 
lies. And I want very people to be very aware of a disinformation frame that is being built. Anthony Albanese, like him or not, has been in Parliament for 25 years and yeah. it is a very known quality in front of the electorate. He's a former Deputy Prime Minister. He was Minister for Infrastructure. He has, you know, he's a personality. He's hosted Rage you know, yeah. like you're not a no, you're not a political non-entity if you've actually hosted a music program. Frankly, yeah. twenty-five years in Parliament, and Albanese is being framed by the Liberal campaign as you don't really know him. You don't really know him. You don't really know him. This messaging, which in PR terms is called message boxing, it's where you just repeat like a couple of phrases indefinitely and you find an opportunity to say it all the time because that then you get an association. Yeah. We're being told as an electorate that we don't really know this person who we've known for 25 years, right? Yeah. You know, which is yeah. – uh, if you're going to tell a lie, tell a big one. Tell a this big is, one. This That's is also standard PR yeah. kind of stuff. So what's already happening because, you know, we're seeing it and people are sharing it with us is disinformation campaigns sharing rumours about Albanese. It's going to get worse. Yeah. We saw them in the last election, the appalling, appalling things that were said about Bill Shorten. Yeah. Um, we also saw it in the last election with lies about the retiree tax, the absolute outright lie. And of that's the death being tax. recycled. Um, and it's being recycled. And what we're in, what we're approaching is the disinformation window. We're getting very close to Anzac Day. There will be two weeks between Anzac Day and the opening of Prepol. And you can expect, if you have an email address, if you are on any kind of social media, that there will be disinformation campaigning, trying to tell you that you don't really know Anthony Albanese at all, that Labor have some kind of mysterious secret agenda. Now, I wonder whose interest that serves, Ben. I wonder in whose interest yeah. these mysterious emails that are appearing that we know people are getting because we have seen them. Absolutely. Yes, I wonder whose interest that they're in. I wonder what kind of infrastructure has been built to share those particular messages. I wonder why... Uh, there is a targeting of peer-to-peer relationships on social media, which people generally, you generally trust, trust what your mum says more yep. than what is in the Daily Telegraph, which is probably a good way of going through life. But not if your mother is, you know, not a digital native, doesn't know that social media is full of lies and can't tell a fake news site from a real one or thinks she's got privileged information about what's really going on and invests in it because it makes her feel special. This is how disinformation works. And I certainly encourage everybody to call out the disinformation that they see, like get into public roles about it. Yeah. Because what was learnt at the last election when Labor went to the mass media and went, you know, we're going to deny these things that have been said about us on social media, if the things are said about if the disinformation comes through social media, you fight it through social media. Yeah. And it's on absolutely everybody to be aware of the frame that's been constructed because I am genuinely terrified about the garbage they're going to make up. Having survived the 2019 election and seen that death tax campaign and know that it was recycled word for word, figure by figure from an American campaign, it is going to get extremely nasty. And it's already starting to happen. In fact, Again, you know, insiders, I don't know if the people the insiders are listening to this show or they're just, you know, picking up on the general vibe. I'd like to think they're listening to this show. I hope they are. Ben's the optimist. I'm like, it's the vibe. <laughs> well, I hope, well, in some ways, in some ways, I hope it is the vibe too, because they, they actually did a segment today looking at some of the stuff that's happening on social media and the ad spends. And one of the things that reinforces our concerns. Not only are we seeing this stuff and we're getting people are sending it to us and we're picking up on it, the stats are really, really clear. The Liberals are spending more than half of their ad budget online uh, talking about Labor, less than a third of their ad budget online talking about their record. They've been in government for nearly a decade, nearly a decade. There are people who are going into what, grade four, who were not born when there was a Labor government, last a Labor government. They are absolutely, as you say, message boxing Anthony Albanese, message boxing Labor. They're already starting on all the old tropes around tax and what you can't trust and what's the secret plan. There are no secret plans. There are no secret plans. It's very clear what Labor intends to do. Labor has been very upfront. In fact, last time Labor was so upfront, it overwhelmed people and made it easier to run disinformation. Labor this time is incredibly upfront. He was asked about 
For example, Job Seeker. We've talked about that a little bit today. And Anne Rustin's view. Albanese was asked about Job Seeker. He said all of those payments need to be reviewed at every budget. That's the policy. That you know, oh, he's walking away from increasing jobs. No, he's not. His policy is all the payments will be reviewed at every budget. That's policy, it's transparent, it's upfront. Labor is clear. Labor is honest. Morrison is announcing jobs programs that don't exist. In a factory cutting a third of its workforce. That is shady. That is secret. That is a hidden agenda. There are $3 billion worth of cuts that That's are right. in the budget. That's right. $3 billion worth of cuts that will fall from government expenditure that the Morrison government will not tell us. What's the phrase they use? Decisions taken but not yet announced. Yeah, $3 billion. That is shady. That is a lack of transparency. That is a government you've been governed by that you don't know. And how many Australians really thought we would be in a situation where there were floods, where people were losing their lives and their homes and their businesses, and the government did not come to their aid? That is just shady. That is a lack of, of governance. That is a lack of transparency. Yeah, yeah. And, look, we. it's really good, I think, that you're calling it out early, Van, because I think last time – we were so deep, you know, the campaign was so far along when people started to pick up on these things that I think a lot of damage was already done. I think this time, some of the work that you've done, other people as well, obviously, you know, credit to other people who are doing this work too, but obviously I want to give you huge, huge props. The book, Q and On and On, A Short and Shocking History of Internet Conspiracy Theories. Cults. Cults gives a very good narrative way of understanding how these things actually happen and have happened and continue to happen. And it gives us an ability to go and see the markers that are being put in place now, you know, like a big lie about Anthony Albanese in the last week of the election is only going to work if people are set up to believe it. Yeah. If people buy the, oh, well, do I really know Anthony Albanese? Do you really know him? Do you really know him? Do you really know him? It's like, yes, you do really know him. He's that weird 80s music nerd who occasionally, you know, throws out a, um, I can't remember her name because I'm so sick. The girl, she did the song. She's the American girl. Oh, the American girl. Yes, the one who everybody likes, I who used know. to be the country singer. Oh, Taylor Swift? There we go. Taylor Swift, one of the world's most famous pop stars. You may have noticed from my voice I'm slightly congested. Yeah, who occasionally throws out a Taylor Swift song amidst a bit of, you know, Jesus and Mary Chain. I liked the Ramones quote. Yeah, starting an election campaign, I've got to say, that was generationally specific. That's a Gen X vote basically done. If you don't know the quote, you weren't there. So... I love how I deeply remember every, you know, because yeah, yeah. I saw the Ramones several times because I'm a 1,000 years old. Sorry. Um, yeah, like you know that guy. You know precisely who yeah. he is. And let's be, let's, be, oh, let's be honest. Like Morrison Morrison is the political chameleon. Like. Look at me and my cow. Yeah. Here's my cow. Like, you know, this, this is a guy. I've got a cow. It, you know. Moo. I'm surprised he didn't dress up as the cow. It's just. It's phenomenal. It, it is it is accusing your opponent of doing the thing that you are doing yourself. Yeah, which um, is also a standard PR tactic. Yeah. So Message box, accuse, yeah, if you're going to tell a lie, tell a big one, look, accuse your enemy of what you're doing. No, is all of this sounding familiar to people? There's no question that Morrison knows how to campaign in the modern environment. The question for us as a society is will we allow – that to be manipulated. At the start of the campaign, I was deeply concerned that the media were in a position where they were being manipulated and going to be manipulated throughout the campaign. Watching Insiders today- You I, felt a bit better, didn't I you? I felt a bit better. I felt a bit better. I felt like people went, hang on, hang on, hang on. Something is going on here. There is, there is, this isn't the 1980s and the way we covered campaigns in the 80s isn't appropriate for 2022. Like times have changed, technology has changed, the way information is distributed, shared, engaged with has changed. And the media still has a massive role to play in elections, huge role. But its role is different. 
because the election cycle itself is different, the campaign itself is different, the way people consume and use information is different. So we'll see. We've got five more weeks. Five more weeks. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hopefully you and I will be well. Oh, is this psychosomatic? <coughs> Have we been so totally overwhelmed with our disgust at the election that our bodies are just breaking down? I want to just, you know, we've done longer weekend wraps uh, because of the election in the last two weeks. We'll probably see if we can continue this trend. We'll see how we go. Uh, we will do uh, a special episode in the coming weeks with our friends over at Socially Democratic, um, uh, Stephen Donnelly's excellent podcast there. Uh, obviously, On the Job continues to be a fantastic resource for working people uh, to get information our from friends, as well. Our friends Francis Leach and Sally Rugg, who are darling. Uh, and, of course, as always, join your union. You know, uh, those three ways that wages are increased, unions fundamentally drive two of them. That is getting organised, acting collectively, getting better wages and conditions in your workplace. Being able to drive a legislative agenda by making it a democratic issue to improve the workplace. So go to australianunions.org.au slash wow. And, of course, a huge shout-out. We've had lots of people in the last, just in the last seven days uh, get on to our buymeacoffee.com slash work on Wednesday, our supporter page, and make contributions. It's allowed us to keep pace with the ever-increasing cost of advertising during election. Uh, we'll continue to try and reach more and uh, bigger audiences, get this message out to more people. You can help. Of course, you can help there, and we appreciate everyone who does. But you can also help by sharing, by liking, by commenting, by engaging people in these issues. Make sure people are aware of the disinformation window. Make sure people are aware of the record of the Morrison government, of the record of Anne Ruston. These are real things that have real impacts on real people, not the kind of photo op, uh, happy snaps that will come through uh, from time to time through the campaign. Yeah, absolutely. And I, on my Facebook page, which is just Van Batum, um, have been posting. We, ben and I are trying to respond to as many questions as we get, explaining things about preferential voting and you know various other bits of the election system. There is no look as a, as a former educator. I can tell you, there's no such thing as a stupid question. If you have a question, I always used to say this to my students. If you have a question, fifty percent of the class have the same one. So if, if there are things you want us to address, if we don't address it in the show, we try and address it on Facebook, on my page, or on the week on Wednesday. Page. When we're feeling a bit better, and this is the first time Van's hearing of it, but I'm going to put it out there. I know a lot of people are watching a video about preferential voting. There is a, there is a video about preferential voting involving marbles. It is misleading. I'm going to just say that, and I have been deleting it when people have been posting it on our social media pages, and I'll continue to do so. Hopefully, when Van and I are feeling a bit better and we're a bit more up to being I'll in front do a of a video camera, about preferential voting. we'll do a video on preferential voting because I know a lot of people are interested in that and how it really works. Uh, but I, I would just say to you, we'll get that video to you as soon as we can. If you're getting videos on preferential voting from people on YouTube who are not, who are not talking about who actually forms government. I can tell you right now, those people are not giving you 100% accurate information. They are pushing a line to try and get you to funnel votes that will ultimately end up helping re-elect a Morrison government. So just be very conscious about that. Anybody who tells you, who tells you in a video about preferential voting that any other outcome other than putting the Liberals last and somehow or another will miraculously elect independence they are they are not being 100% honest with you. Oh, God. So I'm not going to name the names. I'm not going to name the video. But if you come across those things, just be very conscious of it. Delete them. Say this is misleading. Yeah, absolutely. Report it if you can. Look, huge weekend wrap. We've both <laughs> struggled our way through it. Van has been very brave because she's a, bit, a day behind me on the sickness train. Hopefully you'll feel a bit better tomorrow. I feel terrible. And I'll feel a bit better tomorrow I feel, too. My mother it feels fine. My mother has <laughs> terminal cancer and coronavirus and she's all chirpy on the phone. And I'm like, I know. I, I know. feel as if I'm made of wax. We hope everybody's had a safe, lovely, happy Easter with family and friends and the God of your own understanding. 
and that uh, you will be refreshed and energized for the week to come. Until Van and I join you again on Wednesday for the week on Wednesday, remember to be kind to yourself and to each other. I love you, Benny. Thank you for looking after me. I love you too. Bye. Bye.